0: You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple Uh, The one whom Jesus loved, and said to him, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not, both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with a linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and my God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, as we think about the first advent of you appearing, we also look to a future advent of you coming back. And Lord, like we see in the scriptures, we really describe what we have, like we have a broken world that there's darkness outside, but there's also darkness inside of me. And Lord, though through our efforts and what we might true, nothing seems to fix it. Nothing seems to hold it at bay. And so, Lord, when we're honest, we're desperate. When we're honest, we know that, man, we need light to come in and to change us. And, Lord, the only way that light could come in and stay and change was the incarnation of Jesus, that he came, that he lived, and then the death and resurrection of Jesus providing a way back to the Father. And so, Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that you would use Gary... And Lord, his words would be your words and they would pierce deep into our soul and they would light up another room in our heart where you wanna do business with us. And so Lord, we thank you. Lord, I also pray that our presence here would always be a light uh, for Central and a light for Lawrence. Lord, seeing our good works, they would worship and wonder and they would worship the Father in heaven. Lord, so let us display those things well. And Lord, I also ask that a piece of your spirit would just resonate in these halls. Lord, I ask that there would be hope, that there would be questions. Lord, I ask that you bring peace. But above all things, I ask that you would bring the name of Jesus to many, many people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: There's those bright lights again. (laughs) You forget about it until you're actually up here. Well, um, hey, first of all, Worship team, thank you so much, uh, Brian. Thanks for leading. Thank you, team. Hopefully, I got all my tears out during the worship time. <laughs> I'm going to lower this a little bit if I can. Here we go. Um, all right. So, good morning. Uh, my name is Gary Worsig. Um, I'm an elder here at Free City Church, and it's my pleasure to bring the word to you this morning. A few weeks ago, by the way, it's not lost on me that uh, we're approaching Christmas, and I'm preaching out of John 20, kind of an Easter message. Um, but if, the reason why is a few weeks ago, Casey asked if I would preach today. And um, as I was thinking about it and praying about it one morning, specifically about what I should be talking about I just got a strong impression. Why not just share what you're excited about from your Bible readings? And so I was in John 20 not too long ago, and so that's what I'm going to do. just want to share some of my thoughts from my Bible readings. And so there's a little bit of teacher in me, and before I jump into what I've been sharing from my Bible readings, I thought I'd like to just share a little bit about the importance of spending consistent time um, in God's Word, Um, especially a reading program. I'm all about Bible study, which is a little narrower and deeper. Um, and I'm about uh, scripture memory, which is even narrower and even deeper. Uh, but there's something you get from consistently reading God's word in a, not as deep of a way, but a much broader way, over and over and over, that you don't get with those other methods of intake of God's word. So, I want to talk about that. Um, so, Just three semi-random thoughts about reading God's Word. One is why. Why should we do it? And you could come up with just as many good reasons as I can. For me, um, why do I spend time consistently in God's Word? Well, John 17, 3, Jesus is praying to the Father in the presence of the disciples, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Well, if eternal life is knowing God, then we want to do the best we can to know God. And The top of my list in terms of knowing God, who He is, what He's done, His character, His love for me, just comes from His Word. Jesus Himself. Um, John wrote in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So if I want to know about God, I better know His Word and spend time with Him in His Word. So, Uh, And Moses, on the east bank, somewhere near the east bank of the Jordan River, before they went in to take the promised land, uh, basically gave them the book of Deuteronomy. And towards the end, Deuteronomy 32, 47, I think, 47. Take to your heart all these words I'm commanding you. This is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. Indeed, it is your life. This is why I spend time in God's word. Okay. Second kind of random thought, I heard one time that if you spend 15 minutes a day just reading the Word, you'll get through the entire Bible in one year. And I passed that on a few times. And after a, after a few years of telling others that truth, and it is pretty, pretty true, um, I thought, yeah, before I say it to anybody else, I'm going to check <laughs> if that's true. <laughs> so I took my, there's an easy way to do it. I took my Bible. The number of pages, 1,035. I divided it by 365. And I got 2.83 or something like that. And so I marked off 2.83 pages, and I read it in about the same speed that I'm speaking to you. In fact, I read it out loud so that I've try to have the same speed that I'm speaking to you right now. It did not take 15 minutes. It took me 13 and a half minutes. So it's even <laughs> better news. <laughs> the takeaway with me is... This is doable. Who cannot carve out 13 and a half minutes? There have been times of extreme, stressful jobs in my life where it's been tough to even carve out 13 and a half minutes. But, but we can do that. Most of us can do that, um, unless we're in an extremely pressured season of life. 13 and a half minutes. We'll do it. Uh, that's the takeaway. It, it's still a commitment. What if you miss a day? Well. Uh, then you got 27 minutes. And, and what if you miss a couple of days? Whether well, you got 40.5 minutes or whatever, depending on how fast you read. Uh, but it's doable. And my last thought, I'm going to play the age card a little bit. I'm not talking down to you, but I'm talking as hopefully an example. Um, as a 70-year-old, I would just say that reading the Bible consistently through year by year by year, you do um, get uh, a grasp a hands-on grasp of the major themes of the Bible, the little pieces of the Bible where they fit together and um, that you don't get with one or two readings. You get that with 20 readings, 30 readings, 40 readings. So we're talking about a lifetime commitment. But if we're talking about a lifetime commitment, what better to invest your life in than God's Word and God's people? All right. Then a warning and an encouragement before we move into what I really want to preach about today. The warning is this. You know, I'm a box checker. I've probably said this a few times from up here. I like to put things down and check them off, and it can become very mechanical. And reading the Word, my 13 and a half minutes or whatever that is, uh, can become mechanical if I let it. Um, so the warning is this. Jesus, speaking to some Pharisees in John 5, 39 and 40, said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me and you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. So they didn't have eternal life. They knew the scriptures, but they didn't have eternal life because they wouldn't come to Jesus who the scriptures was talking about. So my warning, it's only helpful, my 13 and a half minutes or 50 minutes or however long you spend in the word, is only helpful to the degree that it points to Jesus Christ, His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness. Otherwise, it's just about me and my ability to find an obscure passage, to put the uh, mechanically put themes together. Okay? So make sure your Bible reading is pointing to Jesus. But an encouragement we don't have to be perfect, right? We just need to do it. Um, there's a great analogy of spending time daily in god's word and it is the israelites gathering manna in the wilderness right because the manna came down every single day and if they didn't want to go hungry they had to go out every single day and pick up that manna or else they'd be hungry that day Um, but they didn't have to have beautiful form right they didn't have to have a golden bowl in you know perfect form as they reach down pick it up and toss it into the bowl or anything, right? They just had to do it because they were going to be hungry that day if they didn't go out and gather their manna. We don't have to be perfect in our attitude. In fact, one of the reasons we come to the Bible is to fix our attitude and fix our heart. So we don't have to be perfect. Even this morning, as I went to spend some time in prayer, there was that little reluctance because my heart just didn't feel quite right. Well, that's one of the reasons we come before the presence of God, to get our heart right. So... The warning, make sure it points to Jesus. The encouragement, doesn't have to be perfect. just need to do it. I'm, I'm amazed over and over, um, even now, after 70 years, <laughs> how broken uh, my devotional life is when I come before God and doing my best, how broken it is and how my thoughts still wander. And, uh, we just need to do it. All right. Well, so I hope that my, the thoughts I'm about to share from my Bible reading program are helpful to you as you continue to invest your own time in God's word. Now let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you that this isn't just me pulling stuff out of a book uh, to share with people to try to impress anyone. Lord, thank you that you speak. When we seek you and we seek your word, you do speak. And I pray that what I share today would encourage, would nourish, would challenge, would motivate each one of us. You know what you're already doing in each life here. You're deeply at work in ways we don't even know and not aware of. You're already deeply at work. Would you just use the, the truth from your word this morning to encourage and to um, reinforce and affirm what you're already doing? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, well Casey, thank you. Casey read. Um, John uh, 21 through 18. That's not where I'm going to start. Um, I have one other little tiny truth that I wanted to share from reading program, probably from two or three years ago, and uh, it's Revelation 3:21. We're very familiar with Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, the verse that follows that is just as impressive to me, and just as un- almost unbelievable. He's speaking, this is Jesus in the book of Revelation, speaking to the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And he says, to those who overcome, I will grant to them to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And if we just let that sink in, it's like, I believe, help my unbelief. It's almost an unbelievable privilege that he's saying that he's giving To those who believe him, those who walk with him, those who overcome in those hard times, to sit down with him on his throne. And he even gives the example just like I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne, you're gonna sit with me on my throne as well. Well, I just have a couple thoughts about that. Well, first of all, James and John, remember when James and John came to Jesus and said, We want you to do whatever we ask? Do you remember what they asked him? We want to sit, when you come into your glory, one on the left and one on the right. What an outlandish, arrogant request. Trying to preempt all the other disciples who probably would have asked the same thing. But you know, their request fell short. They weren't outlandish enough. They should have asked, we want to sit with you on your throne. That's the promise. And then John, who was one of the culprits here, Ended up writing the book of Revelation where he says we will sit with him on his throne. Uh, they didn't ask big enough. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. They were asking all that they could think, and it wasn't big enough. They didn't ask big enough. Okay, so we're going to sit. But it makes sense in the larger scriptural context, right? What does he call them. He calls himself, Jesus calls himself, the bridegroom he calls us the bride how close is a bridegroom to the bride very close very close we won't be separated what else does he call us even closer he calls himself the head and he calls us members of the body well as long as there's life there the head's connected to the body and if the head sits on the throne the body sits on the throne too these are the best pictures I can come up with I don't think we have any idea what it's going to look like I was sharing this with one guy one time he said that's a huge throne uh, well, yeah, you're right. In our way of thinking, it's a huge throne, but I don't think we have any idea what it's going to look like. I know we don't have any idea. <clears throat> All right. But also, Ephesians 2.6, I'll just share that too. Um, it, uh, it says it there too. God has raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There it is again. In fact, not only Jesus says we will sit with him on his throne, God says He's already done it. And in his eyes, we're already seated with him in the heavenly places. I don't know how that works. And you can let your mind wander a little bit, maybe fruitfully, maybe unfruitfully. But, man, am I sitting there now? I don't know. God's outside of time. Um, I'm bound in time. But maybe in some way, I am there right now with him. So what's the application? If I'm going to be sitting with him on the throne, if I'm already raised up with him, just be there. Just be there on his throne. Solidify your identity as one who is seated on the throne with Jesus Christ. Solidify your identity as that and live out of that. I served 33 years in the Air Force and I went through a number of promotions. Um, Every time I was promoted, every time I was given a challenging job and succeeded, or whatever uh, showing some favor a little whisper I would sense coming into my ear (laughs) you know when you become you become a captain you know you'll really be something then and you can operate out of that reality and that identity when you become a major when you become a colonel then you're really going to be something people will really look up to you you know what happened when I became an elder at Free City boy when you become an elder You can really operate out of that reality and that identity, and people will really respect you and listen to you and seek you out. (laughs) And uh, you know, the pride uh, can really enter in. And we put our identity in all sorts of things. The problem with that is, uh, you know, uh, and you've heard similar whispers, right? The problem is we're still taking ourselves into all those positions with all of our weaknesses and all of our tarnish, and the image tarnishes. I need an identity that nothing, especially my own weaknesses, can shake and undermine. Then I can operate out of that identity. And what identity can be greater than sitting with Jesus Christ on his throne? I'm not saying we're going to be God. We're not going to be God. But I do say somehow God has taken us from where we are and elevating us to some high degree to sit with him. How's this for an identity? Married to Christ, seated with him on his throne. Power over sin. Secure enough to humble myself. Secure enough to have mercy on others and put them first and serve them. Secure enough to love my enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use me, like Betsy Ten Boom did when she was in a Nazi concentration camp. How she would pray for those guards that were ridiculing her punishing her, hurting her physically, over and over, praying for them. All right, so that's our identity. And I think we'll return to that as we cycle through John 20. Okay, so here we are, John 20. Casey, thank you again. Um, Let's turn to John 20. But as we turn to John 20, I talked about fitting little pieces and big pieces together. I'm going to fit in. I've read in John 20 um you know a number of times and things have come up and what does this mean and what does this mean uh these three of these things that are seen in the tomb kind of make me wonder what are these things and over the years god has i think shown me little by little what some of these things are and so we're going to start in exodus 34 are we going to start in that? No, we're not. We're going to start in Leviticus 16. So if you want to turn to Leviticus 16, if you can, on your phone, in your Bibles. Uh, the Bibles are on the floor. I can't tell you what page it is. But it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? So it's pretty close to the front. And Leviticus 16. What is Leviticus 16? What comes to mind when you hear Leviticus 16? Leviticus 16. Okay, my 30 or 40 years of reading the Bible. <laughs> the Day of Atonement. This is the Day of Atonement. Uh, Yom Kippur, they call it these days. And it's around the 1st of October. Uh, last year it was either late September or early October. And this year it's the opposite. It's the flip side. So depending on the signs of the moon, or I'm not sure what all, it depends on, on something like Easter. You know, we never can tell when Easter is going to be until you look at the calendar or Google it. Um, So it's the Day of Atonement. And it occurred how many times? Once per year. What happened on the Day of Atonement? Um, The high priest goes into the temple. He takes uh, blood from some sacrifices that he's given. He takes it into uh, the Holy of Holies, which is behind a veil. And only one person a year, the high priest, could go in behind that veil into the Holy of Holies. And offer these sacrifices for all of the sins of Israel. This is the day of atonement. This is Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 gives all of the requirements and the regulations for the day of atonement. I call it the little d, day of small a, atonement. And it occurred year after year. And Hebrews 10 tells us that the day of atonement is a reminder year after year of our sins. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. It's just a reminder year by year. That's why I call it the little d and little a day of atonement. And I don't and there are so many things we will not cover nearly anything uh, the breadth of Leviticus 16. I just want to zero in on one thing that appears in John 20. And you'll see it as soon as we start reading. Is it up? Maybe. Leviticus 16 3, 4, and 23. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this. A bull By the way, I'm reading NAS. It's probably not the same as there. It might be. If not, forgive me. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body. He shall be girded with the linen (coughs) sash. And attired. Thought I got all my tears after. <laughs> you don't even know what I'm getting emotional about. You will. <laughs> and the linen sash, and the linen turban. These are. Turn to John twenty while I. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body. All right, Lord, help me get through this. He shall maybe you could just read it up there. (laughs) (laughs) He'll shall bathe his body and put him on. And then in twenty-three, he goes in, he does his thing, right? He pours out the blood. And then in verse twenty-three. This is why we invest in the word of God. You know, I I went through this several times at home and nothing. (laughs) Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments which he put on. When he went into the holy place, then he shall leave them there. Okay. (laughs) Um, Let's go back to John 20. (laughs) Let's go back to John 20. Um, You know what I'm saying, right? You know what was in there. When they stooped and they looked in, what did they see? linen garments let's back up to chapter 19 just for a second two men took the body of jesus who were these two men joseph of arimathea and nicodemus nicodemus is making his third appearance in the book of john and this appearance is to take care of the body of christ and what do they do in verse uh, 40 they took the body of jesus they bound it in linen wrappings with the spices as is the burial custom of the jews What kind of wrappings? Linen wrappings. What did Aaron have to put on? Four garments, a sash, a turban, a tunic, and undergarments, all made out of linen. And so uh, they washed Jesus' body, and they bound him in linen and spices. And then Casey read. What happened? Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, saw it was empty, ran and told Peter and John, John, the disciple that uh, Jesus loved. They ran. John outran Peter. He looked in, saw the linen wrappings. Peter came in. He went right on into the tomb which John didn't do he saw the linen wrappings lying there too well on that little day of atonement year after year this is what happened on the capital D day of capital A atonement which occurred one time Hebrews 10 tells us once for all uh, it was offered for the sins of all time for all people uh, there were also linen wrappings. He was wrapped in linen wrappings and he left them behind. And that was what was there. The, all right. I think that's all I wanted to say about the linen wrappings. Um, let's go, read one verse further in John 20, verse 7. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Um, <clears throat> I was always curious about what, what is this thing about the face cloth rolled up in a place by itself what's the significance of rolling it what's the significance of being in a place by itself um, I heard a legend one time about the head of a Jewish household did something with his napkin if he was coming back and something else and then I, I thought that's kind of cool then I looked it up on the internet and it turned out that's not really a Jewish legend <laughs> it's just made up um So I thought, well, what what could that be? And um, I thought, well, where else have I seen a face cloth? And so I I want to go back to Exodus 34, where I started to go a few minutes ago. Genesis, Exodus, chapter 34. And um, Moses is coming down from the mountain a second time with uh, tablets of stone. He smashed the first ones when he... He came back with the tablets and Israel was partying. Um, wicked, lustful, um, lascivious partying. He smashed the tablets out of anger. God made him do two new tablets. And in verse 29 of Exodus 34, it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses didn't know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So what did Moses do? After he spoke with them a little bit, he's, he, he, they were afraid of him. He put a veil over his face, and every time he went in to talk to God, he took the veil off of his face, And every time he came down to talk to the people and transmit what he learned from the Lord, um, he put the veil back over his face so that they wouldn't be so afraid. Um, And that's a practical solution. It's a kind of a sad solution. Uh, Moses came down the first time and they were just partying. Uh, There's a separation. Psalm 103 says he made his ways known to Moses, his ways known to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. It's one thing to know the acts of God. It's one, another thing to know the ways of God. And so that veil is a separation between God and people. <clears throat> it couldn't even stand to look at the glory that was beginning to fade away from his time with the Lord. Well, um, Paul picks up on this theme in 2 Corinthians 3. And I just want to read a little bit about that veil again. Paul's New Testament take on it, 2 Corinthians 3, 15, 16, and 18. But to this day, remember Moses had that veil. Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. So it's not the veil over his face, it's a veil over their heart. It's the same veil, a veil of separation. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So what is Jesus telling us? When he took off that veil, that face cloth, and he rolled it up, and he put it in a different place. He was calling attention. The linen wrappings are one thing. The veil of separation between Jesus and us is another thing. And with his death, with his resurrection, he took that veil away. When a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, right? Paul tells us, Second Corinthians 3. And what he's saying, and by the way, uh, that little veil that Moses put over his face was a tiny replica of the veil of separation between all of Israel and the Holy of Holies. And what happened to that big veil on the day Jesus was crucified in Matthew 27? It was torn in two from top to bottom. Nothing separating us from the presence of God. Jesus took his veil off of his face, rolled it up as an indicator. Um, Believer, there's nothing separating you from the Father. There's nothing separating you from my face. You come, and you be transformed from glory to glory with unveiled heart and unveiled face. So are we doing that? Okay, let's move on in John 20. I want to go to Exodus 25 to set the stage. This is the first time... um, Uh, or rather, this is after the first time Moses had come down with the tablets and he went back up and God was giving him the pattern. He was giving him the pattern for the tabernacle. All of the stuff that was going to go to making the tabernacle and all the things that were inside of it. And so in chapter 25, uh, verse 10 through 16, he gives him the Ark of the Covenant. This is the size. This is what's going to be made out of. This is what's going to go in it. And then where I'm going to start reading, 17 through 22, he talks about the covering of, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant. We thought the most important thing about the Ark was what I thought, and I'm assuming maybe you thought, the most important thing in that Ark was the, the law, those stone tablets of testimony. The most important thing about the Ark was what went on top of the Ark and which covered those, the judgment of the law. Let's read about it. You shall make a mercy seat. Even the name, the mercy seat. Of pure gold. Two and a half cubits long, about three and three quarters feet long. One and a half cubits wide, about two and a quarter feet wide. You shall make two cherubim. Cherubim, powerful angels. Of gold, make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end. One cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. Says it enough time. One at one end, one at the other end. At their two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing one another. Their faces of the cherubim are to be turned toward the mercy seat. Looking down, you um, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony which I shall give you, the stone tablets. And just listen to this. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment to the sons of Israel. Let's go back to John 20. By now, um, you remember Casey's reading. James and John had seen what they wanted to see, and they they went back to their homes. Who stuck around? Mary stuck around, and she stooped, and she looked in one more time. What in the world did she see? (laughs) She saw another depiction of the mercy seat. We just read about what Moses was told about the mercy seat. Let's see what she saw. Let's read it again. Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw, what did she see? Two angels in white, sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Gary, why are you weeping? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, Mary, why are you weeping? Woman, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they have taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And... um, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Isn't that cool? The angels and Jesus are right in lockstep on the same page. Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. Okay. Maybe me just stop there for a second. What did she see when she looked in? I was tempted at first to look to say she saw the real mercy seat. She saw the real place where Jesus had been lying. But I don't think I don't think so. I think Hebrews 9 and 10 tell us that all of those things in the tabernacle were a copy and a shadow of the things that are in heaven. So I think the real mercy seat is in heaven. I think it's the throne of Jesus Christ. That's where the real mercy seat is. But she saw a better depiction than moses got moses got a pretty good depiction she got a better look at what the mercy seat is the real jesus real angels um, so that's what she saw when she looked in and it's cool when James, uh, when john and peter went back to their homes she stuck and I, I casey when he read it emphasized that and i appreciate that she stuck and she looked again boy what does that tell us is it 13 and a half minutes or is it 15 minutes, you know? Stick around, look again, look again. Uh, she said to him in Hebrew, "Raboni." you know, I'm gonna turn this off for a second. Okay, I think we're back, yeah. I think uh, these things tend to do funny things when you blow your nose, so... Um, and so, and so, I'm, I'm just going to glance back really quickly at um, at Exodus. Um, there, I will meet with you. Right there, Jesus met with Mary, and there I will give you commandment what, I, what you shall tell tell the sons of Israel. And Jesus gives Mary commandment what to tell uh, the disciples. He says, uh, "Go, and, you know, stop clinging to me." By the way, stop clinging. I've not yet ascended to the Father. He'd already died. He was already resurrected. But remember when in, in Leviticus 16, well, you don't remember because I didn't read it. But in Leviticus 16, he put the garments on. He did certain things. He went into the, uh, back into the tabernacle, took them off and left them there. And then he did some other things. He performed some more uh, of, the, of the Day of Atonement. I don't want to go word for word, but I, I think Jesus still had stuff to do. He, he left the garments behind, but, but he hadn't yet ascended to the Father. So he said, nope, I, yeah, you, you can hug me for a little bit, but stop clinging to me. I've got to go finish what I'm going to do. I'm going to ascend to the Father, and then I'll come back. So he gave instructions, and that's what he was doing. So Mary Magdalene came announcing, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he said these things to her. Okay. Okay. Uh, Now, I already emphasized it, but Mary stuck around and looked again. And what did she see? Boy, she saw a better depiction than Moses got of the mercy seat. She uh, got the first encounter with the risen Christ. It wasn't James. It wasn't John. It wasn't Peter. It was Mary. I want to talk about the, uh, the mercy seat, covering the Ark of the Covenant in which is the law. It doesn't destroy the law. It doesn't negate the law. But it supersedes it. It hides it. It fulfills it. It fulfills the judgment and the condemnation of the law. And it's covered by mercy. James tells us in James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. And I can't think of a better depiction of mercy triumphing over judgment and the mercy seat covering the judgment of the law on the ark of the covenant well what's our application whether you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ or whether you do not come to the mercy seat come to the mercy seat unbelievers if you haven't got a relationship with Jesus yet receive his mercy Receive His forgiveness, not the condemnation of the law, but His mercy. Receive His eternal life. Respond to the capital D, day of capital A atonement. Hebrews four sixteen. You know whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Um, Hebrews four sixteen says, "Let us then draw near um, with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need." Believers like Mary stick around in the presence of the Lord. Look again. She got to see a literal depiction of the mercy seat and she had that first encounter with the risen Christ. If Jesus did that for Mary, Mary had seven demons cast out of her. You know, she had her life was pretty broken. If God would do this for Mary, what will he do for you in your times with him? So, let us approach the mercy seat. Jesus knew Mary's name. He knows your name. Just like he called to Mary, he calls to you. His body was broken. His blood was poured out so that we'd be able to approach his mercy seat with confidence. Spend time there and be transformed from one degree degree of glory to another. In a moment, I'm going to ask the communion team to come forward. Uh, But until they come... uh, Listen to this. We celebrate the mercy seat each week by remembering that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. All right, communion team, please come forward. As we move to communion, there are three possible movements for you. If you trust Jesus as your Savior, come forward and take the bread and the wine or grape juice, which represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. If you're not yet to the point of trusting Jesus quite yet, you may just want to stay seated and think about what Jesus did on the cross to pay for your sins with his very blood. Today could be your Day of Atonement. Capital D, capital A. If you sense that you need prayer about some specific issue you're facing, it could be anything. Our prayer team is back behind those curtains. Please go talk with them. They'd be delighted to pray for you. Let's pray. Well, Lord, you are on the throne. We rejoice in the fact that even though we don't understand it, in some way, we will be seated with you on the throne. You've predestined us to um, being conformed to your image, and you've promised that those who overcome will sit with you on your throne. May our actions and our thoughts going forward be secure thoughts and secure actions, secure in the reality that we're seated with you in the heavenly places. May we more and more be a congregation of people who come to the mercy seat, spend time there, and are transformed into your image from one degree of glory to another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come when you're ready.